My name's Natasha, and 45 years ago, my life started in diapers. Hi, I'm Jill. And I'm Ashley. And this is Poverty Pitfalls and the Price of Diapers. And Ashley, I'm really excited about our guest today. Dr. Natasha Burgert has been Riley's pediatrician she was about six months old, basically when we, when I moved back to Kansas city from New York, cause you know, Riley was born in New York and, um, you know how people, well, you let, you love to go to concerts. Like you get excited about going yes. to concerts. Like Dr. Natasha is my rock star. Like <laughs> <laughs> I would go see her in concerts. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I don't know if she knows this, but I love her. She's amazing. And, um, I can't wait for everybody to listen. We'll get into a lot of that. So I hope you guys enjoy Dr. Natasha. Well, so, how are you guys? Happy summer. The kids out. Yeah, yes. Riley got out last week and Ashley's son just got out today. Yeah, he's okay, a fifth good. grader. So we had all of like the last walk down the hall and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. Little, we, a little emotional. We missed all, it was, we missed all that because our kids did virtual that year. So we didn't do any of that like oh. transition stuff. They, he left as a fourth grader and came back a sixth grader. So oh. <laughs> are your kids out yet? Yeah, they got out. Today, well, today's the first full day. They got to oh, sleep wow. in today. They were really excited. I bet. I bet. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you. I was just telling Ashley, like, I'm not a big concert goer. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I love music, but I just don't like going to the big, huge arena. That's not my thing. Um, Ashley does like to go to concerts. She loves it. I was like, I told her that Dr. Natasha is my rock star. <laughs> <laughs> go to a Dr. Natasha concert. <laughs> I know it would also probably be a small intimate gathering. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so kind of you to say. And yes, yeah. it, would, it would be a, a very small gathering with just some close <laughs> friends for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was telling her you've been Riley's pediatrician. I think ever, we moved back from New York when she was still a, a baby, like six months old and got in with you and then moved away for a while and I hated it. And luckily we moved back and we were still able to get back in with you and you've just been uh, I mean you are truly a rock star pediatrician I love it and Ashley I'm sure you've heard me talk about Mass Soft Live that I listened to all throughout the pandemic that Dr. Natasha and one of her other doctor friends was hosting throughout yes. the pandemic so um, it helped keep me sane for sure but enough to keep us sane yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's, uh, I've got a lot to talk about. We have our questions, but we're going to, we're going to derail off of our questions a little bit too. Okay. But first, why sure. don't you tell us just a little bit about you, Dr. Natasha, kind of, mm -hmm. you know, your early life, what that looked like and you know, how you, what, what drew you to pediatrics? Sure. So, um, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, so I'm a Nebraska girl. Um, my brother still lives there. I'm one of two children. I have one younger brother. <laughs> My parents are fortunately both still with us as well. So they all live in Omaha still. Um, uh, throughout um, our childhood, we kind of stayed in the area, didn't move too far, stayed in Nebraska the whole time. Uh, ended up going to University of Nebraska Lincoln for my undergrad, and at that point, majored in psych and bio. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Uh, so I 
derailed after that and went to the University of Nebraska Med Center and actually did PhD research for a while and realized I really hated that. (laughs) So (laughs) that was not my jam. So, uh, but was very fortunate to meet some very, very cool people and have a better understanding of basic research that I took with me to get into med school. And then went to med school in Omaha at the University of Nebraska Medical Center there in Omaha. What people probably most people don't know is it took me a few years to get in too. So it's a competitive space and I'm the first I'm the first medical person in my family. My dad's a project manager. My mom was a fourth and fifth grade teacher. Um, and so there, you know, it was kind of one of those first uh experiences you have in life that like, oh yeah, there's connections that matter here and of course your grades matter, but um, that was an interesting experience and challenging experience, but there was no plan B. So, um, after a couple of years of trying, finally got in and then, um, was ecstatic about that because not only could I follow the, follow the path that, that I felt I was led to, but then I didn't have to be at that scientific bench anymore. And that was, <laughs> that was a re- really a way out of that. Um, but then on the very first day, I remember walking into orientation, there was a long, big orientation, a week a week before um, school started. And as you may can imagine, I'm, you know, a little bit of a nerd. So I was really excited to be there. So I was one of the first people <laughs> in the auditorium and you're in this big auditorium. And it seemed like the chairs went to the sky and there's just, you know, all of these blackboards down front. This was, you know, I'm dating myself that they still put stuff on whiteboards and chalkboards up front. And um, I remember kind of taking a seat kind of in the middle and watching everybody come in. And that was the day that I met Dr. Kevin. So on the very first day of school, he walked in and I was like, hey, you know that guy. <laughs> you guys met and, on the first day of school. Yes. Oh on my the very gosh. first day of med school, we met. And that's kind of where that chapter of our life started. So we started wow. dating probably closer to October, November more formally but yeah so that's where we met and did those whole three years I went in like I said really not knowing medicine that much and being the first in my family I really didn't know what I wanted to do quite honestly um tinkered with the thought of eternal medicine but was turned off very much by some of those uh dealing with some of the patients that really were self-destructive um and then really fell into pediatrics after that experience because the kids were were I really felt that kids were such a promise that kids came in with such innocence and purity. And my job focus was all prevention. It wasn't taking care of the problems from people mismanaging themselves and making bad choices. Although I really respect the people that can do that and help those people work through those problems. That was clearly not my forte. So I, so I, I got drawn to pediatrics quite early. Kevin actually didn't, Kevin was going to go into surgery and orthopedics for quite some time. He was really wow. good at that. He was really good at, um, he has such an attention to detail. He, he loved anatomy. He loved the procedural part. He loved those rotations. Um, but also kind of fell in love with, with peds too. So for a while there was a new peds ortho or peds something else. And so at the end of the day, you know, we kind of go through, this process called the match where you, where you kind of take a tour, almost like college visits. You take a tour of all the different places that you'd like to go do your residency, which is really where you learn how to be a doctor. And we had gone through a lot of places in the Midwest. We went together. We, we did a, we did a process called the couples match, meaning we came as a set. Um, 
we started that process and I told, I told, I told him that I was pressing forward with my career and that if he wanted a couples match, then there had to be a commitment. It was not an ultimatum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got engaged. We couples matched. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we went to um, University of, or Cincinnati Children's Medical Center. So we moved to Ohio mm-hmm. for those years and had kind of a whirlwind transition. So you end up, you end the medical school in July one, and then your residency usually starts August one. A lot of people usually take a trip and stuff. But for us, since we were moving to a different part of the country and getting married, we got married and left Omaha and came back to Cincinnati. Like we just like went to Omaha. We were in Omaha. We got married in the Bahamas. We came back to Cincinnati and we started residency a couple days later. So it was a really not only was, were we learning, like, transition into a new city, but I had a roommate again, which was very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that transition into a new married life was just very different. But at the same time, working 80 to 100 hours a week right, right off the bat with that particular job. So mm-hmm. that was, yeah, I wouldn't have done it any other way. I mean, Kevin is the best partner through that process. But mm-hmm. we um, finished those three years. And Kevin, at that point, really decided that he didn't want to specialize after that. We knew we wanted to come back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but didn't want to go all the way back to Omaha we looked all the way from Chicago down to Texas for jobs and ended up in Kansas City and started our career at Pediatric Associates fortunately together because we had been together since the first day we met like it would be very weird to go to different jobs in different places right so we're very fortunate that they took a chance on us because not not everybody wanted to take a chance on a set Mm -hmm. of doctors in their group um but we've loved it they've welcomed us with open arms and um We've been there in our entire career, pushing 15 years now, and then just were moved, majority of that in the plaza, moved to South Irvine Park a couple of years ago, and here we are. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And just also a shout out for Pediatric Associates and how great they are, longstanding. That was also my pediatrician growing up. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, I that's where I went for lots of strep throat tests and <laughs> all, the, all those fun things. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So what was really funny is we went to go interview there and a lot of people didn't want two people. They wanted one of us, right? Like they, it was uh, like, we got into oh. this weird situation where they wanted one of us, but then the other people didn't, an other group didn't want a married couple being competition to each other in the private sector. Uh, and so right. it was a big juggle, but what's really funny is way back when, when you were coming to pediatric associates as a child, mm-hmm. uh, there was an office manager by the name of Chuck Bay, and he was an office, awesome office manager. He was a great guy. And we remember interviewing with him when we were thinking about coming to the practice. And it ended up that his sister was Kevin's elementary school teacher. Oh my god. Which gosh. is even more bizarre because Kevin went to like a one room schoolhouse in the in like a small Nebraska what? town. Right. Oh. Yeah. So it's like like we knew after that that we were meant to be there if we had that kind of connection from right. I mean Kevin grew up in a town of a hundred people. So they had a one room wow. schoolhouse and he was one of her teachers. It's pretty bizarre. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) That is crazy. Um, So, okay. We're talking about, I'm just going to go ahead and derail things right now because we're talking a lot about kids and um, I, I, this will still probably won't air for another week and a half or so, but um, obviously you have had a 
tremendously challenging past few years. And then, um, you know, we think we're trying to come out of this past few years. We're not really, maybe whatever. Um, and now you're being hit with things like the tragedy in Texas yesterday. And I just, um, how do you keep going? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how else to how to better frame it. But I really just think that pediatricians. Every, I mean, I know we're all feeling it, right? But, but I do think pediatricians have such a special and close place in their heart for these kids, and to be now coming out of of COVID with with more mass shootings. I just, I don't, I don't know how you how you how you handle it. It's, uh, well, thanks for recognizing the challenge there. I think um, this is our job. You kind of put on your big girl mm -hmm. panties and you do what you got to do. But I think it's been interesting because for a few different reasons, you know, being through this process, we've had to, our, our lives have been so consumed by it in a different way than maybe the general population, right? So I have a lot of, of my really close friends are, architects or marketing or, you know, these other careers that, of course, we all kind of went through the first crisis of that 12 months where things were so unstable. But then like after you got vaccinated and after things kind of chilled, you could focus back on your work. And I know things were different. They weren't the same, but you weren't reading the headlines and having to be kind of consumed by it every single day like we have had to be. And so it's been, that's been wearing on us, not because part of our job is to stay on top of like mm -hmm. everything that's going on when it feels like a lot of people have kind of moved on. And then they ask you questions like, wait a minute, is this still a problem? And you're like, what do you mean? Is this still a problem? Um, but then when you think about how kids have in general have really suffered in so many different ways. And, and I, I think we won't, we won't know the way that they've suffered for many, many years from now, truly. Mm -hmm. um, but that on top of um, just uh, the, the stresses that they've had, the change in their academics, the change in their connectedness to their families, the change in their attachment they've had with their parents, like with um, such stressed out, distracted parents and the way that that's affected attachment and uh, uh, with these kids, attachment to their teachers, attachment to their other care providers, grandparents, dealing with loss. But then on top of that, now we have families that are struggling to find food for babies. We have mm -hmm. we have we have kids whose whose uh, whose therapies to be able to to uh, become who they are are being threatened. We have reproductive rights for our young ones that are be becoming threatened. I mean, and then we have <clears throat> this other mass shooting, which is on top of all of the other violent acts that are happening against kids that stay stay below the fold. Um, it's just, it's disheartening to see the, mm -hmm. how Americans in particular, and that's just because of my lens, I'm sure it happens other places, but have really, um, seemingly let, made decisions to keep kids, uh, behind them. Mm -hmm. And although you hear about investing in the future and investing in our kids, I think this last couple of years has has shown us pediat pediatricians as a whole how that that's really a lot of lip service and not really a true value and so you know the academy of pediatrics my 
pedi pediatric colleagues, my um, friends, uh, other medical providers have really tried to keep the conversation going of how all of these things, all of these things, crisis on top of crisis is affecting our kids. Um, but it gets really, really hard when, mm -hmm. you know, the basketball finals are really what people want to talk about. So right. it's, it, we can it's, turn it's off just, the, the, the yeah. news, the headlines. You really can't. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it doesn't make it, it's, it's not a sob story. It's like, I think everybody, everybody has that own perspective of things that you're passionate about. And, every, yeah. and if you have a true passion, those, those are going to be threatened at times and you're going to have periods of time when it's up and down. But this is certainly one in which we have as a global community, we're all struggling together. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a more unique situation because you don't, there's nobody in your life that is stable that you can anchor to, to be like, I'm having a crisis right now. And mm -hmm. this is really hard in my job and what I'm doing. I can lean into my friends and my family, but it's also equally hard in their jobs. And so it's right. the, like anchoring each other through these past couple of years has been tough. And that's yeah. why Mass Off Live has yes. truly been, truly been like a place for Nicole and I to, it was, it's, was I mean it was a long time coming. We were having these conversations and talking. For those of you don't that don't know, Mass Off Live is me and one of my friends back from Cincinnati that we did training with, a PD close friend of ours. And we get together on Instagram and we just talk about stuff. And um, I just needed to see her face, right? Her practice is very similar to mine, and and it's just so validating to know that the feelings that you were having and what you're trying to juggle with and what you're trying to understand in a place of true confusion that there was somebody out there that, that was able to, that was able to communicate and talk with in an, in an honest and open way without the lip service and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. too. So that's what has been so helpful for us. Well, and that, that mass off live, by the way, is still happening. So you can follow Dr. Natasha on Casey kids doc on Instagram and um, see when they're having uh, mass off live. It's an international sensation. Um <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, you did, you started that when it was still pretty much like, you know, we weren't seeing people, we were, you know, sticking to, there was, there was no social outlet. So, you know, I remember in the beginning, it was like, oh my God, I can like have a, I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine and I'm going to listen, you know, and it's like felt like a social gathering after, you know, or during a time when we really couldn't be having social gatherings or doing stuff like that. So I think it was a lifesaver for a lot of people. Um, so, and I, so listening to you talk, I have a couple questions. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, I don't know, um, obviously, cause that's not my field, but I'm assuming that they have got some leverage or maybe they don't. That's, I guess my question to advocate at the federal and, you know, those levels to try to help make some fundamental change and probably specifically on, you know, guns at this point, but on, on everything, right. The mental health, the fallout that you said, we don't know what is going to happen, what the long-term effect is going to be on these kids. Does, does the AAP look at that as well? I mean, is that part of what they do as a, as an organization? Absolutely. They're, I mean, they're advocates for children, they're advocates for pediatricians for sure. And there's different committees. And of course, in these large organizations that represents 60,000 pediatricians, there's a lot of different nooks and crannies of the organization. And some people do have, I think we have uh, in these times of 
we can't all do it all. Like it's too consuming. Mm-hmm. It's too consuming in our hearts to be able to do this all, right? Like so and my and and gun control I recognize as a public health crisis, but that is not my expertise. And so what the Academy of Pediatrics can do is to connect the people that have not only a specific passion with that entity to the degree that that is their that is their battle cry, mm-hmm. connect them with the right people that they need to know and to be able to activate, to be able to get into places where they can make political and medical change and public health change. Right. And so it's a definitely a connector. As you can imagine, there's a million, a million things going on. So you've got, <laughs> I have some, I have some of my families that are some of the, some of my colleagues that have been so fired up and have been working towards um, gun safety and educating families about gun safety. You've got my mental health colleagues. You've got my nutritionist and dietetics colleagues. You've got, you know, people that are working with um, uh, ACE scores and chronic trauma. You've got people that are obviously working with infectious disease. You've got people that are working with vaccinology. Like there's so many different sectors to all of these different crises that are affecting our kids right now that you're that you can't do it. You got to pick one. (laughs) And so we're really leaning into each other and communicating on those back channels. Like, no, I got this. These are the things we're doing. These are the things we're doing. Okay. No, I got this. These are the things we're doing. These are the things we're doing because we can't do it all. Mm -hmm. And so part of part, you know, my, I've always been even pre pandemic, as you well know, Jill, I've always been a very big vaccine advocate. That's always kind of been like my connector piece. And so, that's this that's been wild over these last couple of years to kind of be in that sector but being so focused on that for the last couple of years i can't even begin to deal with the public health gun crisis right because mm-hmm. it's like such a different category to learn so mm-hmm. i think this is another I, I think we have a work cut out for us but it's one where we really have to lean on one another and trust each other's expertise and there have been so many lines of trust severed over the last couple of years too that I think it's just one of these things where we really just all have to turn together and say okay we're ready to accomplish something but that that's easier said than done when people are still dealing with their own trauma crisis stress grieving da 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 that's still going on when they're trying to also help kids so it's 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 just was easier in the past when Sandy Hook happened in the past we had a huge huge sector of the organization that could come that that relied on each other and networked into each other to have a huge response from the academy for the public public health issue of gun safety we don't have that big gathering anymore because so many people are working on so many different other things that's that's Mm -hmm. the challenge of what happened in texas yesterday yeah okay two more two more questions as with a lot of careers and industries right now um teaching being one of them i i wonder about pediatrics too is it going to be harder and harder to get people to go into that line of work because i think you're seeing more and more you know challenges and problems and stresses and and are people going to want to stay and can you know continue to be in that field um i mean Really not to mention so the debt. <laughs> the right. debt you have to <laughs> yeah. take on to even right. get there. Right. It's true. Yeah. All true. All and true. All that stress that that is. I feel. I. 
I think at the at the end of the day, <laughs> talk about going in a different direction. Yeah. At the end of the day, <laughs> like I still love my job. Like I still wouldn't right. do anything else. Yeah. And yes, it sucks. And yes, it's really hard. Nobody asked to be in a global pandemic. And this is certainly not how I wanted to end my career, right? Because this mm-hmm. is going to be the next next decade of what we deal with. Yeah. And so it's this is this is not necessarily what we signed up for. So I I know, I know that there are still kids, kids, young people that will have an exponential, exponentially valuable impact into career medicine and career pediatrics. I have no doubt that there are young people out there that are going to see these issues and know that that is the path that they can make a difference in a kid's life for them to, for them to, to have a connection the way that a pediatrician and a patient can, can connect. Mm -hmm. My concern is that as to, to be a good doctor, you got to have great mentors. You've got to have great mm. mentors. You've got to have so many people. You've got to have the people ahead of you that have seen everything, know everything when everything is so new. You that, And that never changes. It never changes when I was 25. It hasn't changed when I'm 45. I still need that expertise and those those elders, those those leaders, those mentors in my life. And those are the people that are leaving. Mm they're retiring early. They're, 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 they're seeing like, you know, if this is the way it's going to be for the next, then I'm, you know, wrapping up the 401k and getting out. And that I think is the trad. That is what's going to happen in not just pediatrics, but all forms of healthcare, all forms of education. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to be the experienced, experienced mentors that are going to have an early exit. And that is going to leave the young people at a debt that they don't know. That's the debt that they're that. not even going to know. And yeah. so that, so that's what makes me, when I hear about all of these amazing people that I worked with Cincinnati and Nebraska, and certainly here in our community, they're like, eh, I think it's about time. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Okay. One more question. And then we're going to get back on track. So um, I know that, I, you know, obviously because we deal in diapers, we deal in moms and, um, the, the formula crisis. So what is, you know, what's the latest on that? What are you seeing? Um, you know, I'm sure that's just, yeah, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine where, what I would be doing if I was a new mom right now. Yeah. It's, it's, I can't believe we're talking about this, but I still think we're going to be in it for uh, a few more weeks, at least, uh, for these families that are really struggling. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, I think that this is, this is a, uh, it's an interesting time for the shortage to also happen. Cause as I alluded to a lot of, a lot of lines of trust have been severed. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for some of these families that are struggling post on Instagram, hold more value or new certain news holds more value than maybe reaching out to an expert or reaching out to a pediatrician based on their personal experience or experience of others. And so I, uh, I hope that if people are struggling, they're reaching out for help. Um, it's so disappointing when I hear of families who have, who have, who have been in crisis and they don't have food for their babies. And so they're going online and mixing something up in their kitchen and, I'm not hearing about it for until weeks later. Like, why didn't you call us first? Why didn't you call us first? I have a cupboard full of stuff. Can you please call us first? Um, and so it's just kind of another, 
uh, you see another crack in the divide where, where instead of reaching out for help, people are trying to do it on their own. And I, and I understand not every solution is for every family and everybody uh, can't execute every single plan, but man, it's been tough to try and just get people to ask for help. Right. Well, yeah. Which I I think is crazy. That's always the case, but you know, it's funny um, because I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't say for certain, but when I, I saw one of your posts about, you know, talk to your pediatrician and I'm guessing that's still the best thing to do. If you're in real crisis with this food thing, talk to your pediatrician, you know, step one, if you can't find anything. And I don't, I also don't know that I would have thought of that as a new mom. I don't know why, but like, I, I don't know if there's a disconnect there that I just wouldn't have drawn the line for some odd reason. I, I really don't know why, you know, cause I don't go to the pediatrician to get food. So, uh, you know, that's probably no, why. You're, no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And yeah. to your point, being a new parent right now is not like the same oh. as being a new parent a few years ago. Right. And so, and so I don't know if a lot of new families know that, yeah, that's part of our job is to make sure that your kids grow and develop and giving them food is certainly part of that. Um, yeah. so, uh, I think that, yeah, I, I mean, I can understand the framework where, especially if you're in a desperate situation, just to go online and get as much information as you can at the time. But we are seeing sick babies. Babies, babies are going to the hospital um, very ill because of mm-hmm. some of these things. So uh, we've got a few weeks to go. There are alternatives. We can work together if we can trust each other and, and um mm-hmm start communicating with one another about what we need and get back into a situation where moms can help moms, dads can help dads and communicate our needs to one another mm-hmm. um, in, in, a, in a place of uh, respect and not in a place of desperation and be able to kind of come together and help each other out. Right. Yep. So um, everybody listening, if you need food formula for your baby, talk to your pediatrician. Please, please, please. Um, okay. We're going to get back on, on the rails a little bit. <laughs> We, when and how did you learn about poverty? <clears throat> when I learned about poverty, uh, let me change the question. Okay. When I, how about when I experienced true poverty? Okay. Because okay? I think you learn about, I've been going to school for a long time. I learned about a lot of different stuff. So I don't think mm-hmm. learning it is the same as experiencing it when you, are talking about something as severe. We were, um, had the opportunity to um, go our third year of residency. So when we were in Cincinnati, we got to spend a month in Africa. And that Mm. was our first real experience with understanding poverty, not like urban poverty that, but um, uh, rural poverty, generational poverty, true lack of resources. Uh, and that was kind of our first experience of really seeing the consequences, multi-generational consequences, and certainly how it affected the kids, because that's why we were over there mm-hmm. um, uh, in order to, um, to really see that as an adult. As a kid, you, you know, I, I was raised in a church-going family, and so we, every Christmas would, you know, um, through the church organizations have an opportunity to buy presents for an underserved family. And then you would go to their house and you would deliver those presents. And so you, so you got to maybe see it. Um, 
and see that people were not living the same way that you may have lived, Mm -hmm. but to really experience and understand the complex connections that maybe you needed to be a little bit older to see. Um, When Kevin and I talk about our relationship, we talk about uh, before Africa, after Africa. Like that's like how our lens was changed during those four weeks. And so, and and a big part of that was um, experiencing that level of poverty and lack of resource. I was just going to ask what effect that had on you guys, but uh, clearly a big one if there's like, you know, before Africa and after Africa yeah, had, yeah. had a and, big yeah. effect. And that's still in our, that's still in our vernacular between the two of us too. Like when we start, when we, when we start um, maybe getting, maybe uh, having expectations or getting comfortable here in our bubble in Johnson County, Kevin will remind me, well, remember before Africa and after Africa, you know, like, <laughs> okay, I get it. Like, you're right. Let me reframe, you know? So it, so it was a really influential part of our, our, our lives and our relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's such a good point you make about um, learning about poverty versus experiencing poverty. Because I think even when you learn about poverty, there's no way you understand the depths and the long lasting, well, oftentimes the reason, you know, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The reason that they're in poverty because it's generational oftentimes. And then the long lasting effects that will, you know, continue to happen to that generation likely. Um, And it's, you know, that same triad of disproportionately affected, you know, people, people, women, people of color, um, and poor people. Um, so but I think, I think what was really enlightening in those experiences too, is how, how that level of poverty and experiences really, do, really does biologically change the brain and mm-hmm. how, um, from a neurologic standpoint, how people develop differently when they are in that type of stress and in lack of resource. I remember vividly, you know, we were told when we um, came, when we we were going to travel there to bring pictures of of where you're from to share with uh, African people, like bring pictures so that, you know, you'll, you'll be going into their home. So why don't you bring a, bring a picture of what your house looks like. And I remember Kevin brought this beautiful picture of, it was, um, like the Ohio river and like the skyline of Cincinnati and all these beautiful buildings. And like, we're like, Oh, it's such a cool picture. They'll think it's so cool. Right. And we remember, we remember showing it. And the first thing they said was like, Oh my gosh, how many people die every year getting water out of that river? And it's like, they didn't even see the skyscrapers, the landscape, the beauty. They didn't even see anything. They just saw their resource, right. They just saw their resource and were already navigating how they could get it. I mean, and that, that's like a, that's such a fundamental way that a person's brain works when you are in that level of chronic scarcity, that your framework always focuses on, on those resources. And if you cannot focus on anything else, how can you expand to get out of it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Survival. I remember I took mission trips to Nicaragua. We visit the same village over and over. And it's weird what sticks out in your mind. But I just remember that 
we were always told do not interact with the dogs there because you know we're americans we love our dogs we love you cannot interact with them most you know they're not looked at as pets over there most of them are starving like you can see their bones sticking out and they're very aggressive because they're just trying to stay alive so you can't like touch them or really you know try to interact with them at all and i just remember that being like such a stark difference um one of many obviously but Mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah. So we are all leaders in some way. Can you tell us how you're a leader and if there was a defining point or person that led to that? That's a great question because I think that's one of those things, <laughs> at least for me, I don't think you just like wake up one day and put your leader hat on. <laughs> um, Wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? I'd be like, today's the day. <laughs> Uh, I think I, I, uh, I've been fortunate, as, as I said, like to have a lot of leaders and mentors in my life. And so one of, one of, one of my biggest, um, uh, people that influenced me and actually helped me choose what I wanted to do with my life, um, was my, um, mentor in Cincinnati who took me under her wing and let me see, like, let me go to her office every single week for the whole three years and during residency wow. as part of, as part of our training. And it was her showing me how she did her work and, and joining with her patients that made me do what I want to do. And so we had a, a couple of years after I came to uh, Kansas city, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to have one of those residents. I want them to come into my office and, and, and do that with me. And, and uh, so, so three years later, we're, you know, just, you know, I, I, this is a very collegial relationship in my eyes, right? Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, just having a resident come over and hang out with me for a while. And then at the end of it, I was, I was caught off guard when I was given a, a, a mentor award for that time. And I'm like, Aww. wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Thanks, but like, I guess this is it. I guess this is it now. I'm on the other side. Like, oh, right. <laughs> so, so realize that I happened. Thought, yeah, I was like, I, I guess that was happening. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of that transition, I think, is especially within our careers of becoming some of those mentors and leaders to the to to the to the younger generation, which is always kind of weird because I still feel like a lot of the people in our community who I look up to, I'm still like. Like they're still my boss. They're still, they're still <laughs> like, I'm still gonna ask you before I do anything. Uh-huh. So it's in this weird middle place. But I suppose that, that would be my first place where I thought, okay, I'm 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 moving through my career where I, where I can be considered uh, more of a leader and, and a mentor um, for for uh, people behind me, which is cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's hard because I think you kind of always feel like who who put me in charge? Who's who's yeah? Who, who said who said I could do something like this? Somebody <laughs> else is coming to check this, right? right. Like this <laughs> right. is not just me, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So that that's great. I love that. Um, why do you think some of us end up in a pile of it and some of us get out clean? That's a hard one for me because. I think you could, uh, I think you could say kind of the trait, you know, your privilege or your luck or whatever. Um, but especially working with kids, it's so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Like there are some, there are some kids that a, a large family where you, you have the same parents and the same resources and the same 
opportunities and the same education and some kids end up in a pile of it and some kids don't. Um, some kids I'll see that clearly have all of the cards stacked against them. I get cards from in five years saying they're happily married with a baby and a job and you're like what you know (laughs) and then there's some kids where I'm like this is certainly going to not go not go well and they're thriving and the other way around where I'm like why why is that kid struggling so much when they've when they have every opportunity in the world so I I'm really challenged by that because we we don't have predestiny like there's so many things that are are um I think a little bit beyond us to end up where we are. Uh, and if we have the fortitude to be able to get out of it when we're in it, I don't mm. know. Mm-hmm. That's a tough yeah, one for me. It is. I think it's a tough one for everybody. And that's kind of why I like to ask it because I don't know that there's a good answer, but it is interesting to see what people's different answers are because there are so many everybody comes from different experiences. We've had a lot lately, I think, who are just, you know, the ability to, to sometimes you just got to be able to pull yourself up by the, your bootstraps, no matter what, what the situation is. But we were, I don't remember who we were talking to, Ashley, but it was, um, we took it a step further and was like, but sometimes you don't even have the bootstraps. So, you know, you got to give somebody the bootstraps and then maybe they can pull themselves up. So, um, and some kids, some kids, some kids have every bootstrap there is, but they choose not to use them. Uh, well, like, I mean, yeah, which is, which is going to be started on that. Perplexing. I, yeah. It just I feel is like perplexing. That's a, is that not a parenting problem? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not always. I mean, that's um, true. <laughs> I guess I was thinking a little bit more broadly. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm just, okay. Yes. Yes. Maybe more broadly, but I, you know, my brain went straight to just some enable. I think there's a lot of enabling, um, parents and a lot of privilege that, you know, I'm like, you, you have to raise kids to be a productive member of society. Like people aren't just gonna hand them everything and people aren't gonna, you know, people are going to say no to them in real life. So you got to let them know how to deal with that. I know. And unfortunately, you know, it happens for most kids so late mm-hmm. that they, when they really have those first struggles and when they really have those hard no's and they really realize that, you know, things aren't fair and yeah, you worked really hard and you still didn't get it. And that's, it's even been challenging. Like, um, not that you wish that for your kid, but like my oldest daughter and my, and my son for that matter too, like um, they have, they're, they're self-motivators. Like they're going to mm-hmm. figure it out. They're going to, they're going to do okay. And things come pretty easy to them just kind of naturally. And we're very hands off. My parents were always very hands off with me. You do you, mm-hmm. I do me, you know, and that's always kind of been Kevin and I's approach too. Of course we give you all the resources that you need, but like, I don't know how to log into Canvas. Like, I don't know what their <laughs> grades are. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yep. check their lunch Same. if they ate lunch. Same. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> when I get an email that tells me about an assignment, I'm like, that is not my job. That is their job. Why are you sending this to me? So, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and if it's not on the calendar and you miss it, it's because you didn't put it on the calendar. It's, right. like, it's not my job. <laughs> right. right. You have to know right. how to take care of yourself. Right. Yeah. right. Time right. management. But, little, yeah. But even in that, they're 
or this these this is my old lady in me talking but it's like <laughs> when I didn't get an assignment in I got a zero like there was a consequence and right. like, now my son's like well I don't really want to turn it in tomorrow I'm like what do you mean you don't want to turn well if you don't turn it in then like you get a couple days I'm like, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand you get like on. one no turn in a semester <laughs> or something and it's like what I don't <laughs> please yes, tell I, them now please yeah. tell them now please make it hard please make it hard because it needs to be hard <laughs> while they're still in my house I don't want them to be having really really hard days of people telling them no when they've already left my house mm-hmm. I need people I need to navigate that with them and not that you wish challenge upon your children but I want them to be challenged when I'm here to navigate and at least watch how they react so I can reframe things if they need to. Mm -hmm. And if things are always easy, it's really hard. So I feel like if this is the first time they're going to experience this is when they fly off to New York City and expect to get a job they don't get or something like that. Like that's a really different situation than like being able to deal with that saying no and challenge and that kind of stuff when you're still living with your parents. Absolutely. I do. I I actually have conversations with Riley about that and she's kind of similar. Things have come easy. She tends to make happen things that she wants to happen. And I, you know, I've just shared with her like, that you know there's going to be a time when you're going to stumble and and I've said I do hope it happens like she <laughs> I hope it happens like <laughs> I actually want that to happen for you soon so that you know you've got we can we can work through that together and give you the resources and um yeah because it's not it's just that's not really reality necessarily so I totally well, and it's how they build self-confidence if they don't go through struggle and I say this from like I was a stay-at-home mom for nine years so I struggled a lot because that's like my only job like you know like that's my job is to take care of this one child that I have so I did way too much I'm extremely guilty of all the things that you talked about <laughs> I'm working I'm working on it now I am although I do parent from guilt a little bit because he's now in a divorced home and there's that's a whole nother thing but, um, you know, just reading and learning, it's how they develop their self-confidence is they have to go through something and show themselves that they can get through to the other side. It's not just like, oh, good job. You, you know, you pulled your pants up all the time, like <laughs> praising every single thing that they do, but them themselves facing challenge and working through it and coming out the other side is like a huge confidence builder. And I think that a lot of kids do suffer from not being able to you know, proved themselves their worth through those types of things. I was one of those kids. My, my parents say they were the original, they were the helicopter parents before it was cool. <laughs> <the helicopter> parents. <laughs> we're going to get interrupted really quick. Right. Right. Come say hi. There she is. <laughs> hi girl. Yeah. She's headed happy out. She's, yeah. She said happy summer. She is um, dog walking for her job this, this summer. So she's oh, cool. to go do some dog like walking. A- how many dogs like just right now she's just doing it she's got all summer long she's only got she's working for a friend of mine who has a company and they've got a there's a puppy that that um around the just around the block and um so she's got to go play with the puppy twice a day so that's a big responsibility yeah I I I love it it's perfect because it's close she could just you know walk over there in the pouring rain it's great (laughs) (laughs) I mean I guess she could drive but she won't drive my you know oh god I can't believe she's driving well you know it's so crazy because as you know you're in Kansas they could drive when they're 15 and I'm like well technically this is work so you could technically drive but yes she doesn't she doesn't love 
as most, well, not most, a lot of kids, you know, I'm sure don't love the driving these days. Like we did. I mean, I couldn't wait. I guess I'm curious. Do you see that? Like do a lot of your patients not want to drive? Yeah, it is weird, right? Like I was so mad because my birthday was on a Sunday. I'm like, I had to wait oh. one day. You know? <laughs> like, <clears throat> it was such a big deal. And yeah, like my uh a lot of my patients are like, no, I just grab rights from friends or we'll just grab Ubers or whatever. And I'm like, okay. And even Ayala, who's who just turned 50, and I'm like, would you like to go? Ah. I'm good. I don't really have to go anywhere. <laughs> Make an appointment. You're going to want a license. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. Um, uh, let's move on to our last question. What do you most value? <laughs> what? <laughs> questions are just hard. <laughs> what do you most value? I know. It's not, um, easy. it's not an easy question. And I think there, I think that the answer to that changes as you get older and more gray hair and more exp- mm-hmm. get through a global pandemic. Um, I think um, what I, I'll, I'm going to answer it like this. Of course, I value my family, my husband, my being a mom, my having a job. Okay. i throw all those out there. What I value today is having the ability and the strength to accept all of the different parts of me. That's what's really helped me get through these last couple of years to accept that I'm not, to, to truly value that I am a parent, but I'm also a really good friend. And I'm also, I have a, I have a cool job, but I, but I also, you know, I'm a wife and And I also like to do Peloton and I also like to read and I also like to write. And I, you know, like that all of that, I can equally value all of those parts without um, and accepting the day that I want to work on them enough without feeling guilty that I haven't done a hundred percent to everything. I'm valuing that today, these are the parts of me that I'm embracing and I'm okay to let the other parts go. That might be my favorite answer to date. I think that's the answer we all need to hear right now. I mean, because just like, I mean, we were talking about it earlier in a different sense. You can't do it all. The the AAP can't do it all. We can't do it all. So yes, valuing that we have those different parts and we might not give them a hundred percent every day and that's okay. But you know, some days we might, some days we might not, some days we focus on this and accepting that. I love that answer. I love it. It's really helped, I think, and maybe blossomed a little bit more intently in the last couple of years. Cause there's been a lot of days when I had to, when I've had to be 100% doctor hat on mm-hmm. learning everything I can about what's happening. And the mom thing got kind of pushed aside. Fortunately, my kids were old enough that like during the virtual, a lot of those virtual school years, they are virtual school felt like years, those days. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. <laughs> they could. <laughs> You know, f- fortunately, they were in a, they were not, you know, a, I had to solve my sixth grader every once in a while, but or the, my fifth grader at the time every every once in a while, but they're pretty self-sufficient. So I could really focus on something else and to really let myself like not feel guilty that I wasn't 100 percent at everything because mm-hmm. I because that part of me on that day was really important and I needed to spend 100 percent on that that part of me that day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then to let go and like not be on the gram and not worry about everything and not doom scroll and to be able to just be a friend for a while too, you know, and to, Mm -hmm. and to kind of pick, pick those pieces out. I love that. And what an even better answer, because I think it's mental health month, isn't it? And I feel like that ties into mental health. Um, Yeah, I just, so yes, take care of yourself and appreciate yourself. And I think so many, like for me personally, I, I, you know, I think I'm of that age, you go through life and you kind of start to look back and you think, "Hmm, maybe I need to do some therapy on a couple of things that happened. Right. And, um, work through some of that stuff that you just maybe don't realize until you, you hit a certain point in your life. And that's even part of what you're saying too. Like, letting all of those pieces in and just being okay with them. This is what it is. This is who I am. It's fine. It's fine. And we're <laughs> going to take all those little pieces and we're going to bunch them up. And yeah. I see, so, see so many families too, that really, um, as a sense of sacrifice, um, and maybe, maybe guilt, maybe reparation, maybe generational things I don't understand, but really let some really dynamic parts of them fall to the floor when they become parents. Mm. And some, maybe that's some, sometimes I think that's conscious. Sometimes I think it's unconscious, but even though we're moms and dads, I still think that we're dynamic people and our kids are with us in a very fleeting moment, a very short period of our lives. They're within our hearts forever, but they're with us for a very short part of our lives. And even the course of just a few years, there's so many things that, that you as an individual need to value and to nurture. And so when that part of you is gone, when those kids leave those house, like that, that your whole life can't be leaving the house too. You, you've got to have other pieces inside of you. I think that that makes us a dynamic, pe- dynamic individuals. It makes us better parents. It makes us better friends. Mm-hmm. It makes our better, but be- makes us better community members um, to be able to have dynamic lives outside of our parenting. Yeah. Definitely. I'm, you know, as I, as I'm realizing that with a freshman in high school and so much of her young life, really, I was probably not as dynamic of a parent because I had her 98% of the time and I've just, you know, it's exhausting, but I'm, I'm luckily recognizing before she leaves. Okay. I got to, and I mean, I have over the past several years, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get back to me. Yeah. (laughs) And And they're always, they're always in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Different, there's different, there's different seasons of life. You exactly. know what I mean? There's always different seasons of life. Exactly. Um, but valuing all of those different parts, when we think of ourselves as, you know, if we're living a hundred years, valuing all of those different parts, I think is, mm-hmm. is such a gift. Um, it's such a gift to yourself and it's a gift to your spouse. It's a gift to your kids. It is. I love that. Oh, well, this has been wonderful. Ashley, do you want to add anything? I don't think so. I mean, I think mental health when it comes to our kids too, is something that's on all of our minds with, you know, our kids seemingly have so much more than we had in a lot of cases as children. And yet they seem to be less happy and fulfilled and suicide rates are up and their self-worth is down. And so I think, you know, speaking personally, we just are questioning why or what are we doing wrong? You know? So, you know, I don't know if you have a, any advice for parents on, that we worry I mean it's it's so top of mind especially with the recent news and I think you can 
mental health is, is an onion, right? I mean, there's a lot of different layers. A lot of it's biological, a lot of it's chemical, a lot of environmental or genetics, um, our personal experience, all this kind of stuff kind of leaves up into, into who we are mentally. I think fundamentally there are some kids that are wired differently that do have different needs that some parents just simply need professional help in order to be able to understand and to be able to manage because they're not wired like their parents. Um, but I think a, a practical piece maybe is something that's been very clear in these last couple of years. And I, and, and from, from the big kids to my little itty bitties, the whole spectrum of, of that is, you know, we are, I, I, there is um, some psychological theories from back in the 50s and 60s, old, that are kind of getting dusted off, um, haven't talked about a lot. And that is how humans are wired to have a mo- uh, neurological connection to one another. This is like tribal stuff, right? Like you have to connect to a level of your tribe so that you're going to protect each other and you got each other's back so that you're going to be, you know, be able to have this survival mechanism. And as part of that neurological connectedness, a lot of it just being unsaid energy, if you will, kids and part of attachment is you have to have a stable centered parent in order to have this energy and this biological regulation off of. And so if you have a parent that's very dysregulated, anxious, depressed, you have a parent that's super stressed out, that has that is super distracted, that's on their phone all the time, that doesn't give eye contact, that doesn't like that that's working from home, like all, all of these different things that we are all doing right now, it takes away some of that emotional anchoring that kids look up to in order to have emotional regulation of their own. And so of course it is not in no way do I mean that to imply that it is a parent's it causes any mental illness in a child. That is not what I'm saying. But for kids who have maybe a little bit more anxious brain, like my kids, or kids that have a little bit more um, depressed brain, that's the way they're built. Having a parent that is doing their best to put themselves in a place of mental stability will allow that kid to be able to reflect and attach and use you as an anchor during times when they start to get dysregulated. So maybe even back to what we were talking before, this is a mental health crisis and it's easy to say, let's help the kids, let's help the kids, let's help the kids. But I think it's equally important to say, we need to help us. We need to help us to be able to get our emotional centers right and to be able to deal with our stress in our last two years right so that we can help these kids and they aren't reflecting what they're seeing in our stress. They're not reflecting in their own lives. And again, that's just one layer of this onion. I don't want to say that's all of it, but- um, I, I certainly see that in myself on the days that I am more emotionally balanced, I've, you know, exercised, meditated, I'm like a better person and a more regulated, my kids are more regulated. And, and you can see that from little babies all the way to teenagers. Hmm. That's helpful. Thank you. I love this conversation. I could probably talk to you today and keep asking questions, but, um, but I know we've all, we've all got work, important work to do. So we'll let you back to it. And thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. My pleasure. And I'm so glad to hear that your organization is doing well and you're helping all those babies out there. So thanks for all of your good work. Yeah. 
Thanks a lot. See ya. Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> All right. Bye, nice. Ashley. See you later. Bye. Nice to meet you. What'd you think, Ashley? She's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that conversation, you know, as moms through the last couple of years and all the other challenges our kids seem to be facing. It's just good to have that one-on-one and talk Mm -hmm. to somebody who's in it every day and sees all kinds of different things and, you know, has some wisdom and perspective to bring and add, which is helpful. Yeah. She's just so good at what she does. I mean, just really, really good at at what she does. And, and I think leads from a place of understanding a lot of different components of pediatrics and kids and the dynamics of kids and families and all those different things. So I just, I always really value her opinion and her input. And, um, she talked about a little bit, yeah, her and, uh, her husband, Dr. Kevin both work, um, work together. I didn't realize they've been together since her first day of, um, <laughs> that is crazy. I can't imagine working <laughs> every crazy. day with someone I'm married to. I don't uh, know if that would be good for me. <laughs> they're so, they're so cute though. They're great. Um, they are a great couple, but, um, really even, and, and if you enjoyed this conversation, please do look up mass off live. Um, even watching some of the older uh, episodes is just great. And Dr. Natasha always also um, has a newsletter that she sends out. So I'll try to find the link and include that in the description as well. Um, but her Instagram page is awesome too. There's all kinds of good information. She just posts on her Instagram page. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She's a great resource. Um, so I'm thrilled that we got to talk to her today um, and had some really fun answers and um that's it. Wait, your kid just graduated fifth grade today. <laughs> he did. He did. He's moving on to the big middle school, which we also toured last night. So it's been an emotional week. How was the tour? Did he love it? Did he think it was super big and scary or he, well, they had brought them there, I guess, for a lunch one time. So he had seen it before, but there was like one of our neighbors is a teacher there. And so she saw us. And so she kind of showed, you know, made him feel at ease and showed us around and, um, it was good. I, I was telling you before, but I went with my ex and that was kind of weird. And anyway, and then we ran into somebody who we used to go to church with, who doesn't know we're divorced. And so she was like, Oh, did you guys move churches? And I was just like, Oh God, no. Oh no. It was kind of awkward, but it, it was, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah. It's been an emotional week for sure, but yeah. Jackson's ready and he's, Good. you know, he's grown a foot this year. And oh my gosh. Heard a lot. So. Good. And now good summer, it. lots of fun summer stuff, even though it's, you know, rainy for the past. Oh days. my gosh. I know they had all these, like, they're supposed to have a pool party in our neighborhood after and that got canceled. Oh, yeah. So it's kind hopefully of bummer, they can but. reschedule maybe when it's nicer out. But yeah, good, good, good. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think that's it. That's it. All right. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. <laughs>